to be there. And then I looked up at the ceiling and I'm like, well, the ceiling doesn't have to be either, there either. And we came up with this whole plan of how to expand our sanctuary to make room very inexpensively. And we worked out with our landlords so that we can do it and we don't have to put it back when we leave. And so uh, long story short, oh, and, and then our denomination decided, because uh, we're four square and so we're a fam- part of a family of churches. And so our, our churches, um, our family of churches are so excited that they want to help donate towards it. So they're giving us a check for $10,000 and we don't have to pay it back or do anything other than to say thank you for helping us make room. And so um, in the new year, um, Joe Perez and his crew, along with anybody else who wants to volunteer to get dirty, we're going to rip out this drop ceiling because if you were, if you got above this, there's about four feet until the actual ceiling. Um, and it looks like a mess right now, but we're going to gut it all and put new lights in here and spray paint it black like you'd see like in a Starbucks. Um, but it'll raise the ceiling four feet, which will give the appearance of a lot more space. And then we're going to blow out that back wall to actually give more space, extend the floor, and really uh, expand our sanctuary to, to seat 30 or 40 more people and allow people to social distance more so it doesn't feel claustrophobic. Um, and, uh, and then there was one more thing I was going to say. Anyways, I'm super excited. <laughs> And then the kids' space, we're going to put new carpet and new paint and make the kids' space look really, really good. And so anyways, those things are happening in the new year. More to come. Okay. Hey, we're ending John uh, today. John, and we're going to land in John chapter 21. John's been an awesome series. And honestly, I could go forever, but we have Advent coming. And I don't want to cram in the, uh, the Christmas story as we reach resurrection in John chapter 18 and 19. So, because uh, that's for Easter. So we're going to skip to John chapter 21, land the plane in the book of John, and then next week start Advent as we kind of lead towards um, the birth of Jesus. So with that said, open up to John chapter 21. And um, I want to sort of rewind the tape for a minute and say that, that up to this point in John, we've been in the upper room. And it's been this incredible dialogue between, John, between um, Jesus and his disciples. And from there, what we haven't discussed and read is that they left there and went straight to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is about 360 paces. And um, that is where Jesus sweat blood and prayed. And then he was ultimately arrested. And all the way up until crucifixion and then resurrection. And it's a beautiful story, and I encourage you to read it, especially during Easter. Um, But now we find ourselves in John chapter 21, and this is some time after resurrection. And a lot has happened since resurrection in John chapter 21. But John chapter 21 is a profound chapter, and it says so much about the God that we serve. And as we've been talking about, the book of John has a very unique purpose. It's different than the other synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels are an account of Jesus, an account of his three years here. And that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you'll find things in there that are not in John and vice versa. um, Because the book of John was written specifically to articulate who Jesus is, to show you who he is, to show me who he is, that we might believe in him. And that in believing, we might find life. This is the purpose of this book. 
It's a different purpose. The book, as an example, the book of Matthew is designed really to open your eyes to the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus. And so that's why Matthew is so filled with the prophecies that, were, that, that, that came about. But the book of John is to help us see who Jesus is. And so I want to use that lens to look at John chapter 21. And it says this. After these things, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he revealed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and the son of Zebedee and, the two, and two others were together. Simon said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, friends, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came into the boat, dragging their net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it. With bread, And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. And Jesus then came and took the bread, gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege that we have to come today. That it's no mistake that on this day we find ourselves discovering what you were revealing to the disciples on that day. And God, I pray that somehow we would see the same thing that you showed them on that day. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love that this chapter starts by saying, and Jesus revealed himself to them. Jesus revealed himself to the world on the third day as the resurrected Jesus. And that's the Jesus that we celebrate, that he conquered sin, hell, and the grave. And he said to the world, all who might come and believe will be saved. This was Jesus revealing himself to the world. But on this day in John chapter 21, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he chose to reveal himself uniquely to them personally. And it's this revealing that I want to talk to you about. And first, I want to show you a picture of the sea um, where Jesus was standing. And um, this is a picture when I was able to go to Jerusalem or, or when I was able to go to Israel a year ago. And this is, there's a few places where they know beyond a shadow of a doubt because of the context of what was going on, that that's where something took place. There's a lot of other places that they say, well, it was generally around here. And then they build a monument, you know. Um, but this was one of the places that they know for sure 
that, um, that Jesus met the disciples. And it's also one of the places that um, Jesus came and preached from Peter's boat and things like that. So it's a very significant place. Uh, there's another picture as well. Actually, um, that's a quote, so I'll get back to that. But this is such a cool landscape. It's beautiful. Um, Derek and your family, you just got back from uh, Lake Tahoe. If you've ever been to Lake Tahoe, you feel like you've been to the, the Sea of Galilee. It is so similar. It is about the same size. It's beautiful, breathtakingly beautiful. It's very different. The, the um, um, Mediterranean Sea side of Israel is very different than the Jerusalem side. Jerusalem side is a lot like desert. It's very like similar to the Jordan. Um, but uh, Mediterranean side where the Sea of Galilee is, is, is very pretty um, and, and beautiful. Um, so this was the third time that the, the, that the disciples saw Jesus. Um, so their, their response to him coming wasn't like, oh my gosh, you raised from the dead. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I thought you were dead and now I, I want to believe in you. But they freaked out. To the point where where. Peter jumps in the water freaking out and swims all the way to shore freaking out. We can't believe it's you, Jesus. And yet this is the third time in a, in a matter of a couple of weeks that Jesus is coming to his disciples. So it's a very unique reaction by his disciples. And again, as we dig into the story of understanding like what's really going on here and what is it that Jesus is revealing to his disciples. Peter had had already seen and spoken to Jesus two other times. And yet notice what Peter did after he saw Jesus the second time. So, so Jesus showed up. Remember when, remember when Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe unless I'm able to actually touch the scars. And then poof, Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, why don't you touch the scars, you know? And so um, Peter was there. And then there was another time that G Jesus and Peter were able to interact. They were able to talk. And after that, we, we, we read at the beginning of John chapter 21, Peter decides, I'm going back to fishing. Now you have to understand that where Jesus ultimately was trying to get the disciples was in Jerusalem, the upper room. And ultimately, Jesus accomplished that because he was in Jerusalem at the top of the Mount of Olives in his last appearing with his disciples. And he said, go into the upper room. And then they saw him go to heaven on the Mount of Olives. Well, that's, that's like two and a half hours car drive, five days traveling with a donkey and walking from the Sea of Galilee where they were. So the disciples, they decided, we're, we're moving on. You have to understand where the disciples were, especially Peter and where he was after the second appearing of Jesus is that the thing about Jesus dying is settled. He's not dead anymore. They've already seen him two times. They've talked with him. They've interacted with him. Jesus has shared all kinds of things about his plans for the future, what this means for the world, all the things that Jesus talked about in terms of his um, death, burial and resurrection, what that means. So the disciples got all that. And after they got all that, they decided to go back to Galilee to be fishermen because that's what they did before Jesus. 
That's where Jesus found them in that dead end job going nowhere. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you know anybody in there that's got that like dead end job and they have no vision for their life. Do you remember a time when you had no vision for your life? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, before Jesus died, the disciples had all kinds of vision because they were talking about, I want to sit on your right and on your left and we're going to roll in. We're going to, let's do this, Jesus. And I will never do it, deny you. Even if everyone denies you, I will never deny you. I will die for you, Jesus. It's you and me, right? And then a few days later, a few weeks later, they've abandoned that whole track and they're on a new track. And that is, we're going to go back to the dead end job with no vision. We are Fishermen at the Sea of Galilee. Because we have failed. Jesus hasn't failed because Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Surprise, surprise, Jesus. You are the Savior. You did raise from the dead. We've seen you twice. And now, Jesus, you're awesome. Go be awesome. We realize now we are not. And so Jesus and the disciples at that moment took a took, took a, a diversion. They were going parallel. We're with you, Jesus. And now, now, Jesus, we see what you're doing. You're going to save the world. And thank you for letting us hang out with you for three years. But we're going to go this way. I don't know if you've ever been there. See, it's one thing to believe in Jesus believe he saves and heals and restores. And it's another thing to believe he chooses me. I think this is where the disciples were. The disciples didn't have a hard time at that point believing in Jesus. He did everything he said he was gonna do. They just didn't think that they had a part in it anymore. So we're going to go fishing. Can you imagine Peter? I mean, obviously all the disciples failed Jesus because they all scattered. And the Bible says that they were hidden with the doors locked, hidden in their room. As Jesus is resurrected from the dead, they are literally hiding. But, G but Peter has a unique failure and we know that. And so he... He's out on the water and I'm sure his self-talk is like, I don't know what I was thinking. What? I mean, who was I kidding? That I'm the rock? That I'll never fail you, Jesus? I'm the man, right? Peter was always the guy that was like one-upping everybody else and trying to give the right answer. And now Peter is completely failed. And he's like, I don't know what I was doing. So he went back. Do you ever have seasons in your life where you go back? Think about it. And I'm not saying like, you know, years of in your life where you've backslidden. I'm talking about moments where you go back. Like, like you have a really good week or you have a really good month and you're like, I'm on it. And you believe something about yourself. Like I am this person and yeah. And then sometimes it's not even anything significant that happens, but it's just that little wire in your head that just whoop, and you wake up and you're like, and you just revert back to your old ways of thinking. 
and your old mindsets and the weird old way of doing things. And it's not like, a, not like a righteousness sin issue oftentimes. It's just a mindset that we go back and we start believing the lie of who we really are because we know us and we get up and we look at ourselves in the mirror. And we see what everybody else doesn't see. We see who we really are. And then it causes us to revert back. This is what Peter was doing. So there they are on the lake and Jesus comes and he has come to reveal himself different than the other two times. Jesus has come. And, Peter, uh, and what Peter sees, this is what I love, what Peter sees is so ridiculous that it causes him to be disoriented to the place where he sees Jesus And instead of taking off his coat, which is normally what you do before you jump into a freezing cold water, he puts on his jacket and jumps in the water. I love how John throws that in there. Peter puts on his jacket and then jumps in. Like, who does that? It's because Peter was like, oh my gosh. He was so disoriented and so frazzled because what he saw that it's just caused him to just lose all sense of whatever, threw the jacket on, jumped out of the water and swam. Wasn't trying to walk on the water, just jumped in. I got to see if this really is Jesus. Because he, he couldn't see if it was Jesus. Somebody else said it was the Lord. As soon as Peter heard that, well, that's very interesting because I, for so long, I looked at this story and thought, oh yeah, that's prob- that was probably a reaction because Peter didn't know that Jesus was raised from the dead yet. He's already seen him two other times. This is now the third time and it's evoking this kind of reaction. Have, have, you, um, have you ever uh, had somebody hurt you or disappoint you to the level where they've lost your trust? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hello, all of us. <laughs> and we've been that person too, right? But let's just, funner to think about the other person doing it to you. So, and, and, and as, as Christians, right, we most of the time eventually come to the place where we're like, all right, I'm going to forgive them. But if the hurt's deep enough, then things don't go back to the same. Sometimes never, Right? There's a lot of factors there, but, but sometimes you get to a place where you're like, I forgive you and I love you with Christ-like love, but I don't trust you. And so the relationship's different. I think that many Christians are stuck, sometimes us, paralyzed by the belief that Jesus has forgiven us but he's kind of moved on. Like you would move on when someone hurts you and you're like, it hurts too bad to be close to you because I don't trust you. So our relationship, we used to be really close, but I've kind of moved on. But I love you and I forgive you. And I think that like, I think that's where the disciples were. I think that they received the fact that Jesus, he forgave the world. But Jesus has moved on. 
And so we have to move on. And the only place that we can move on to is we're going to go back to fishing and Jesus is going to go save the world because he's awesome. And I think that I think that so many Christians are stuck in a place where they've accepted the fact that Jesus forgives them, but maybe hasn't chosen them because he's just kind of moved on. Like you've struggled and you've failed too many times. And so Jesus is awesome. And I'm just going to, I'm going to accept the fact that I'm just going to be a fisherman. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think that, um, I think the disciples wanted the same thing we want, to be wanted. Right? Like in a relationship, isn't that the magic? Isn't that the sweet sauce? Isn't that the beautiful thing when you sense from somebody else that you're not being tolerated? But like, I actually want you. I will fight for you because the cl- your closeness and our relationship is so important to me that, that, that I want you. And I think that disciples they craved that from Jesus. And this is why Peter responded the way he did. Because just maybe, just maybe. Because see, Jesus wasn't revealing this part of his nature. Apparently, the other two times, he was showing up and he was showing the scars. And it's like, I'm okay and I'm still saving the world. But this time, Jesus was coming and he was coming with this nature to say, I want you, I still want you, I still believe in you. And I think Peter was like, maybe, Maybe he still chooses me. So he freaks out and jumps in the water. Have you ever played hard to get? I played hard to get. And I'm not proud of it, but I did when Heather and I were, were uh, just meeting each other. And, you know, like I didn't know if she really wanted me or, 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 or desired to hang out with me. Sometimes you just don't know. Is somebody being polite? Is somebody just being polite? Or do they actually like you? So when we first met, we, you know, we, we, I hung out with her family and we went on one date and then she left for college and I was home and we corresponded over email because that's what you did back then. Of course, we went over email a little bit and we finally said like, hey, let's have a phone call. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to call you. So I call her. It's the first time we've ever talked on the phone. We'd emailed and we'd been on one date. And I called her and I'm like, um, you know, hey, this is Shane. And again, like we're so early. We're not dating. We went on one date. And I don't know yet if she, you know, was just like responding to my emails because she was being polite or because she actually was choosing me. And so, so I called her. I was all excited to get the butterflies. And she in turn says, I'm actually really low on minutes right now on my cell phone. And so I wondered if maybe we could like do this conversation another time. This was back when minutes were a thing, right? With cell phones. And I'm like, so you're going in a new direction. This is what I was thinking. So I was like, fine, that's fine. You're going this way and I'm going this way. It's, it's cool. And I didn't, I, so she's like, will you call me back, you know, whenever? And I wasn't even listening. At that point, when she, she said that, I'm like, it's, I get it. I get it. I get the joke. I don't want to be that guy. And so I won't bother you anymore. And so uh, she thinks I was like playing games. I honestly just, I didn't want to get my heart broken. And I thought she was just being friendly or, or you know, kind. So I didn't call her and two weeks go by. 
and she didn't call me back and I didn't call her back. So both of us were thinking, the other one's just not interested. They're blowing me off. But she really liked me, but I never called her. And so finally she came home, uh, um, you know, visited and her mom convinced her, you need to call him one more time and invite him out for Mother's Day um, and, and just see. She called me, we went out and the rest is history. <laughs> but, but we all have that thing in us of like, are you just being polite? Because Jesus, you have to be, because you have to love the whole world, because that's the whole thing. Or do you actually choose me? Peter was in that place. And I know that other disciples were, but Peter was there especially. We know that because he freaked out, put his coat on, jumped in the water. After two other times of seeing Jesus, Peter had a revelation in that moment. Jesus came from Jerusalem, teleported all the way to Galilee, found me on that shore on that day for the third time. And he's like, I haven't moved on. I don't have another plan. You're still it. This is so profound. Jesus chooses me and you in the midst of our dysfunction. (laughs) So beautiful. In that moment, Jesus' words to them on this day were echoing. John 15, 15, he had said these things just a week ago. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants, but I call you my most intimate friends. For I, re- for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I choose you. I appointed you that you should go bear lasting fruit. I want to highlight three ideas really quickly that we see in this, in this story unfold as the story continues and Jesus restores Peter. And the first one is this. He invites us to his table. Absolutely love this. And these are things that we can be sure of and confident in that he still chooses us. He invites us to his table. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a chuckle fire and some bread, and come now and have breakfast, Jesus said. What I love about this, this passage is that they spent all night fishing and caught nothing. Jesus shows up and he goes, it's cool. I already got it. <laughs> you don't need to bring anything to the table. I already made the table for you. How many times did Jesus eat with his disciples, break the bread, break the fish, bless it and give thanks. And then they just found themselves at the Lord's Supper and he's articulating what all this means. He's breaking the bread. He's giving the cup and he's saying, this is my body. This is my table. It is still enough for you. And then this last moment with his disciples, he is breaking bread again. And he's saying, my cup overflows with blessing. David said, you make, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. On this day, their enemies were here. How about you? Most of us don't have enemies trying to break down the gate of our housing complex. I mean, every once in a while we have some haters online, but in general, 
in general, our enemies are here. And you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And my enemies come when I come to the end of myself. I toil all night on this, on this track that I've been on and I catch nothing. I come to the end of myself and Jesus shows up and he says, listen, I've prepared a table for you and my table comes when you are empty. When you are at the end of yourself, I have everything you need. I am still enough. My broken body and my shed blood is still enough. And he does that for them. Next is he restores our self-talk. John 20, 21, 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Mm, yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know I love you. Jesus did not hear, need to hear that. Jesus did not need to hear Peter say, I love you. Peter needed to hear Peter say, I love you. And he needed to hear it three times because he denied Jesus three times. And his self-talk, his enemy, was nursing and rehearsing his failure. And Jesus evoked that out of him. Come on, I need you to say it. I need you to hear yourself say it. I am a lover of Jesus. I'm not a failure. I am not lost. I love Jesus. Yes, I do love Jesus. I love you, Jesus. That's who I am. I love Jesus. And I love that as an identity, by the way. Come on, let's leave here and let's just be people who love Jesus. Are you a Christian or are you to this denomination? Are you that? Or No, I love Jesus. What a beautiful identity that Jesus was instilling into Peter. You are not a failure. You're not even a fisherman. You're a lover of Jesus. What I love about this that I've never seen is that Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Now listen, Jesus changed his name. His name wasn't Simon anymore to Jesus. His name was Peter. Simon means read, going to and fro. And, 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 and Peter means rock, solid. And on this rock, I'll build my church. So he doesn't go out and say, you're Peter. Ugh. He goes, hey, Simon. In other words, I know what you think about yourself and I know on this boat you've gone back to that person and you think I don't know who that person is. And so you keep telling yourself if Jesus really knew who I am, who he's picked, he would have never picked me. And Jesus says, I know you're thinking that so I'm gonna call that person out, Simon. See, my transformational work goes even that deep. I transformed Simon. I didn't put this facade over you. Now you're Peter. Isn't it cool? And Simon's not really in there. And you go home and you're like, no, Simon's still in there. Like he's, he's in there. You don't see him because I'm really good at protect, pretending. But like Simon's in there somewhere. And he comes out every once in a while. And he says, Simon, you're the lover of Jesus. Because I've changed you. From the inside out, you're a different person. This was the transforming work of Jesus on that shore. And lastly, 
He never stops choosing us. He didn't choose you one time and be like, hey, you better get it together and I know you can do it and then you know you fail too many times and he's like, I just can't. It hurts too much to choose you anymore so I'm going in a new direction. No, he always chooses us. In John chapter 21, he proved this. He said to the last words that he said to Peter, follow me. And this, these, this two word phrase, was so profound for this fisherman because three years earlier, Jesus said those same words. It was the first words that Peter ever heard Jesus say, follow me. And that wasn't like, hey, follow me around. I really need a harem. I need a crew. I need a posse. No, those words from a rabbi to a young Jewish boy meant, I see something in you. I believe you can be just like me. Come and learn my ways. Be like I am and one day you can do what I do. I choose you, come and follow me. And Peter heard those words three years ago and he got all excited. He's like, oh my gosh, no one's chosen me. That's why I'm a fisherman. And this rabbi now is choosing me. And somehow he got it within himself to believe that like, okay, Jesus sees something in me and now he's changed my name. But now all that's passed. And Jesus comes back to him and he says the same words. Follow me. In other words, you can be just like me. And I stand before you as a resurrected Jesus. I've been transformed. I faced the greatest storms in my life. I went down to hell and I conquered it. And now I've risen and now I stand before you. And now I say to you, follow me in this way. You too can have a resurrection story. Follow me. So on this day, as we encounter this Jesus who revealed himself to us, may we, we, may we remember he's enough that he prepares a table for you every day in the midst of your insecurities and your failures yes. and your questions and your doubts and your fears and your struggles. He prepares a table for you and he says, it's enough. You fished all night and caught nothing. I already made breakfast. May we remember that he calls us by the real you. And he says, I've transformed that person. You are a lover of Jesus, deep down in your being. And lastly, he chooses you. Father God, we... choose to step into a place by faith to accept who you say we are and that we have been transformed. And in these moments on this holiday season, as we're surrounded by family and navigating through life, Jesus, I ask that we would get up every day and by your Holy Spirit, we would awaken something new and fresh in our lives. That we would see you on the shore of our life calling out once again, I choose you today. I'm enough for you today. 
And just as we've experienced the silence of that moment, that you would silence the enemy in our head and the voice of the enemy. And all we would be able to hear is your loving voice calling us out once again to be a part of your story. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you.